It is often said that a good title always helps in the selling of a movie. It gives audiences an indication as to what the film is about. Snakes on a plane. Hmm. I wonder what happens there. Another example is one I used a couple of months ago. Four Weddings and a Funeral. It announces itself as a comedy with a little sadness thrown in for good contrast. But more than that, it has rhythm, pattern and melody, which makes it poetic. Speaking of which, how about this for a title? Dead Poets Society. <laughs> God. What was the Dead Poets Society? The Dead Poets were dedicated to sucking the marrow out of life. That's a phrase from Thoreau we would invoke at the beginning of every meeting. See, we would gather at the old Indian cave and take turns reading from Thoreau, Whitman, Shelley, the biggies, even some of our own verse. And in the enchantment of the moment, we'd let poetry work its magic. We let it drip from our tongues like honey. Spirits soared, women swooned, and gods were created, gentlemen. Not a bad way to spend an evening, eh? Potentially dreadful. It is so bad it is, if you'll excuse the pun, the kiss of death. As was remarked at the time of its release, the only thing worse would have been to call it Dead Poet Society in Winter. Anyway, the title was thought of appropriately enough by the author of the screenplay, Thomas Shulman. Although the story was purely fictional, Shulman's inspiration was his time as a student at Montgomery Bell Academy in Tennessee. Attending the school in the late 1960s, Shulman's English teacher was Sam Pickering, whose eccentric and unorthodox methods prioritised the values of non-conformity. Another important figure for Shulman was Harold Corman, a teacher in the Actors and Directors Lab where Shulman got his first job writing educational films. I'm not saying it was predestined, but you can see a thread between Shulman's inspiration as a writer and his writing a drama set in a school, all of which earned Shulman an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. If you notice, everyone started off with their own stride, their own pace. Mr. Pitts, taking his time. He knew he'll get there one day. Mr. Cameron, you could see him thinking, is this right? It might be right, it might be right. I know that, maybe not, I don't know. Mr. Overstreet, driven by a deeper force. Yes, we know that, all right. I didn't bring them up here to ridicule them. I brought them up here to illustrate the point of conformity, the difficulty in maintaining your own beliefs in the face of others. And yet, for all the values Pickering preached and Shulman's innovative educational films, the script for Dead Poets Society is nonetheless very much in the keeping with the tradition of the high school drama. That's not to say the script is poor. I'm simply saying that it adheres to the structures, themes and ideas that are as old as drama and education itself, which is perhaps one of the reasons why the film was and continues to be so popular. Boys, you must strive to find your own voice. But the longer you wait to begin, the less likely you are to find it at all. Thoreau said most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Don't be resigned to that. Break out. Don't just walk off the edge like lemmings. Look around you. There. There you go, Mr. Christie. Thank you. Yes. Dare to strike out and find new ground. Beginning as far back as the 1930s, the dynamic of the teacher-student, mentor-apprentice, has been a regular feature in Hollywood cinema. Hardly a decade goes by without a reworking of the story. Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Blackboard Jungle, To Sir With Love, The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, Dangerous Minds, and Mona Lisa Smile, even Harry Potter has it. Of course, the mentor archetype is so flexible that you can see it in anything and everything, from Star Wars and The Karate Kid 
to the Lion King and Scent of a Woman. And with the mentor, there is always a theme of instruction, where the wisdom of the older, more experienced personality must gently, and only gently, suggest the route to be taken by the apprentice. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. In its most basic terms, the theme reaches back into antiquity, to Greek mythology, Homer's the Iliad and the classical archetypes. Telemachus was a young boy, his father was Odysseus, and when Odysseus went away to fight in the Trojan Wars, he asked his friend, mentor to look after his son, which is where we get the term. It's more than a surrogate father. It is a wise and trusted counsellor, a teacher, an influential sponsor or supporter. And a supporter or a senior sponsor is something every writer needs. No matter how talented you are, you need someone to recognise your talent and then, more importantly, protect it. You see, when we hear stories about explosive talents such as Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson or Aaron Sorkin, it can be very misleading as to how writers actually succeed. Wondrous as their talents are, those three writers are absolute aberrations, but because they succeeded, young writers misunderstand the power structures involved in making a movie. Here is Thomas Shulman himself explaining the way in which Dead Poets Society was given the green light at Disney. About three days later, I got a, a big packet of notes in the, in the mail from them. It was about 40 pages, starting with the obligatory, we really love this project. But, uh, and the, the teacher is, is not the main character of this, this movie. He's, he's, it's, it's an ensemble, and we don't want to do an ensemble, so let's rejigger this thing. Let's start with the teacher back when he's in school, do about half the movie with him in school and then we'll move to the second half and let's get rid of most of these boys and just, you know, concept, we'll, we'll put a love interest in for the Robin Williams character and so forth. A couple of days later, we got the meeting at the studio and walked in and Jeff Katzenberg was sitting at his desk in par in, uh, and the executives were all sitting in the little, uh, on the couch and Jeff was reading through the notes and I sat down and he s looked over and said, who did the notes, guys? And they all said, well, they're kind of rough, but we did them as a team. And he said, you're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, aren't you? And, they went, and he went, let's just make the movie. Again, Shulman's case is an exception. This is what had happened earlier. The first meeting I had with the studio executive, uh, she said, uh, it's, you know, we really loved it here, all the, the vice presidents and so forth, but uh, we, would, we won't even give it to the studio head because he'll pass and uh, we think you should consider turning it into a dance movie. We even thought of a title, The Sultans of Strut. Uh, and maybe that was because the movie Fame had, had just come out. Mm -hmm. Maybe, that might have been the reason. It's never enough to write a script. Writing talent is proven in either A, presenting a script that is so good that no one dare tamper with it, or B, the ability to adapt, adopt, and rewrite the notes handed to you by producers. In other words, collaboration. So, in a way, Jeffrey Katzenberg was himself a mentor to Shulman. Another mentor was undoubtedly the film's director, Peter Weir. 
the school of miracle directing. You know, he never talked to the actors, or very rarely talked to the actors. When he did, he would just have little gems of things to say. So it was, it, you know, I was there also to learn how to direct. It was hard because you just go, "What is he doing?" He's, you know, but but uh, is has a kind of painter's vision of the world. You know, we'd be walking down the street, and he'd go, "Oh my God, look at the shadow of that tree." on the sidewalk, that, that kind of eye. Now 69 years old, Weir emerged from Australia in the 1970s as part of a generation of filmmakers whose work was viewed as a national movement, each director supposedly addressing the evolving identity of their country. But once in America, Weir struck out on his own, making a series of films, Witness, The Mosquito Coast, Fearless, The Truman Show, and Master and Commander, that each examine a solitary man undertaking a great journey, but really that journey is the search for who he is. The same is true of dead poets, only this time it is not a solitary man, but teenage boys. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times, but I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? What the film has on its side is youth. And with youth, we have innocence, optimism, beauty, aspirations, and most of all, an unending future. The boys simply haven't been around long enough to know that such things can end. So, as meteoric as their futures may be, there is always stalking in their orbit the forces of conservatism, conformity, and worst of all, the dark dusts that sour our sight, diminish our horizons, and blight us from encouraging such hopes in others. In other words, cynicism. Quite an interesting class you gave today, Mr. Keating. Sorry if I shocked you, Mr. McAllister. Oh, there's no need to apologize. It was very fascinating. Misguided though I was, I think so. You take a big risk by encouraging them to become artists, John, when they realize that they're not Rembrandts, Shakespeare's, or Mozart's. They'll hate you for it. We're not talking artists, George. We're talking free thinkers. <laughs> free thinkers at 17. <laughs> Funny. I never pegged you as a cynic. Not a cynic, a realist. And then, of course, there is Robin Williams as the boy's mentor, John Keating. His casting was simply inspired. A number of other actors have been considered, including Liam Neeson and Bill Murray. Both are very fine actors, but their screen personas would most certainly have resulted in a very different portrait of John Keating. With the tone of his voice, as well as his sheer physicality, Liam Neeson would have made John Keating an immediate protector to the young students. But Neeson is no comedian, which Bill Murray is. But Murray's comedy is droll and is not dependent on the firecrack physical energy that Robin Williams brings. So, Murray's tone would have been laid back, lethargic even, and perhaps not as inspirational. His eyes don't light up like Robin Williams. Few actors can make an audience's eyes light up like a comedian. But by casting Williams as a teacher, where one of the boys' lives ends so tragically, well, it makes it all the more tragic. Laughter and tears, it's a lesson as old as Shakespeare. 
We're going to talk about Shakespeare to someone who writes something very interesting. Now, many of you have seen Shakespeare done very much like this. Oh, Titus, bring your friend hither. <laughs> but if any of you have seen Mr. Marlon Brando... No, that Shakespeare can be different. France, Romans, countrymen. Let me rest. You can also imagine maybe John Wayne is Macbeth going, Well, is this a dagger I see before me? But the version of the script that Disney said yes to did not contain half or a quarter of the jokes that ended up in the film. They were, of course, improvised. But improvisation, inspired as it may be, also needs strong direction. Just how strong a director Peter Weir is can be seen in the performances he got out of his young cast. Weir's direction was sensitive enough to guide them when needed, but let the talent run free when it could. I don't think it's any coincidence that the heart of the film lies not in the classroom, but in the cave to which the boys venture out in the night to reenact the Dead Poet Society. There in a cave they are, okay, it's symbolic, it's a womb, and they are reborn, bringing to life their newfound hopes of the future. All very poetic. So maybe the title wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs>